go to Haggai together. We don't often look at Haggai. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. If you know your books of the Bible, this is toward the very end of the Old Testament, right before Matthew begins the New Testament. And uh, short, short little book, just two chapters long, and yet much for us to glean. Our theme has been faithful in the work. And this is a continuation of last year's theme, Strengthened for the Work. We looked at Ezra and Nehemiah, and now we're looking at Haggai and Zechariah, the two prophets who ministered during the life of Ezra and Nehemiah as the temple of the Lord was being built. These two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, were greatly used of God. Uh, When the temple building had ground to a halt, God used these men to stir up the faith of his people to do the work once again. Haggai 2.4 says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. He is with us. He will hold us fast. He is the one who gives us the power to do what he calls us to do. Be strong, he says three times. Be strong and work for i am with you we can do the work he's called us to do because of his presence and his provision now i mentioned that uh haggai is is divided into four four sermons Uh, the first sermon was chapter one and there are three sermons in chapter two that haggai preached to these people and uh, they are each dated that's how we can tell uh, which where one ends and the next one begins they are dated very clearly And we're going to be picking up today in the third sermon, but we'll begin in verse 10 and take it through verse 19. In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, uh, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people And so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. And now I pray you, consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days were, when one came to an heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the press fat for to draw out 50 vessels out of the press, there were but 20. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail in all the labors of your hands. Yet ye turn not to me, saith the Lord. Consider now from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even uh, from the day of the Lord's Uh, that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine, 
and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth, from this day will I bless you. Lord, help us as we look at your word, and would you help us to consider our lives as your prophet instructs us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The first sermon we entitled, Consider Your Ways. The second sermon, Consider Your Covenant. And this third one, Consider Your Future. The children of Israel have come into a lull of 14, 15 years of stagnation. There's no building going forward. Nothing is being done to the work that God called them to do. They have gone about living their lives and and just assuming that hopefully things will work out. After all, we're in God's land. We're in the promised land. And, and uh, you know, we have an altar. We have an altar here. So hopefully things will work out for us. Uh, we don't know what happened to the building of the temple. Uh, the work of the temple just kind of ground to a halt. We thought God was in it. Maybe he's not in it. If you don't know the story, uh, they ha- the Lord stirred up the heart of the king, King Cyrus, to give them a letter to go and rebuild the temple which was a miracle. They get into the work, opposition comes from without, and another king gives them a letter that says, cease and desist, and that was really supposed to be a test of their faith. They were supposed to continue to do what God called them to do. Instead, they said, no, we're not going to push through this opposition, and for 14 years, they experienced withering of their harvests and, uh, and, and famine, and, and God's hand was standing them. Yet, nonetheless, they were not concerned. They had slipped into passivity. And the prophet comes to them to say, wake up, consider where you're going, consider your future, consider the next generation. Uh, What you think is just going to work out is not just going to work out. This temple is not just going to build itself. The the next generation is not just automatically going to follow in in the footsteps of the prophets. Uh, They're not just going to get it. Is there such a thing as Christianity by osmosis? I think we, we think that maybe that works, that if you just get your kids around something sort of Christian, that they'll, they'll grab a hold of it. Uh, you don't really have to be sold out to God yourself. You don't really have to be dedicated and purposeful and intentional, and you don't really have to wage war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Just, you know, do the best you can, and, and, and the kids will get it. No, that's not what Haggai says here. And we'll go into it. We'll break it down. Osmosis, the idea of the process of gradual or unconscious assimilation of ideas. Uh, No, Christianity doesn't happen this way, where you just gradually pick up things without any purposeful effort or work. They were in their homeland. That was not going to just set them on the right track. They were in the promised land, the holy land, but that was not going to make them or their children holy. They did not have a temple, but they did have an altar. They're doing open-air services, but things are kind of ground to a halt, and just the presence of this altar was not going to somehow rub off on them and and make them, the the next generation, uh, just vigilant to follow the Lord. One of the biggest misconceptions of the Christian life is that the next generation is just going to get it. I, I, you know, I I think a lot of first-generation Christians struggle with this misconception that my kids won't struggle with what I struggled with because when I was a kid, when I was a youth, I wasn't saved. 
And so therefore, I went after all this stuff. But my kids are saved at a young age, and so they're going to obviously be spared of all this stuff. No, not necessarily, and you see it right here in the passage. My kids won't struggle with lust, alcohol, or drugs, somebody says, like I did. Because they're in a Christian home, and we've got Christian grandpa, and we've got, uh, I get them to church, and they get to Awana, they have a Christian school, they have Christian camp, and now I know I'm not giving them all my time, I'm, I'm always gone, and, 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 and so forth, but hey, at least we've got other people investing in them, and hey, it's good to have other folks investing in them, but what about you investing in the next generation, mom, dad? It's easy to think that certain things are just automatic, that the next generation is just going to pick them up and absorb them. But unfortunately, as the Jews found out, it doesn't work that way. Anything that will be successful in the realm of righteousness and godliness is going to take planning and intentionality, some good old-fashioned hard work. Ultimately, Haggai had to preach four different messages to get these folks woke up and, and working again and faithful. And Zechariah, he had to get in there and preach a few messages too to stir up these people's faith because the temple was not going to build itself and the next generation was not going to automatically become Jehovah worshipers. They needed to sit down and consider their future. Where are we going and how do we expect to get there? First of all, if we're going to consider our future, we need to be intentional about our life's direction. To be intentional about our life's direction what does the Bible say about uh, making things holy or profane? Verses 12 and 13, the prophet has a couple of interesting questions. We read them. He poses these questions to the priest. In verse 11, he says, Ask now the priest concerning the law. The priests know the law. So they're going to get these questions right. And uh, that's what he was banking on. He was going to take their knowledge of the law and apply it to them and how they were living their lives. So the first question is in verse 11, he, uh, verse 12. He says, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered, No. So what's that talking about? So holy flesh, what is holy flesh? He's talking to priests about things that they know very well. <clears throat> what did the priests do in that day? they sacrificed what would be considered holy flesh every day of their lives on the altar to God. You had these lambs that were brought up without blot, or no blemish, no, no spot, no broken limbs. These were the, the, the perfect, pure little lambs that they would take. And you didn't give the weak and the lame. God said, no, don't give me the, the worst, give me the best, the first fruit. So again, remember, he is holy. And this was a reflection of who he was and and they gave their best to God. And this is also a reminder of who was coming. The Lamb, Jesus, would come. Uh, the, the sinless Lamb who would be slain for us. And so they were used to taking and making these sacrifices and, and they would maybe transport it in the skirt of their garment. Now, you know, uh, today uh, we don't, men don't wear robes or skirts, all right? But uh, they, they had these long robes and you could easily use it as a scoop Put what you need there, come up, and, and you could transport it or whatever. So you get the idea. They got some cloth that they're wrapping the, the, the sacrifice with, and you bring it up to uh, the altar, and you offer that before the Lord, and, and that is holy to the Lord. Well, the question he's posing is this. Since this holy flesh touched your cloth, now, if you take that same cloth 
and it's time for you to check out and go home, and the next priest is coming on duty, and so you're going to go home and feed your family. So you grab a few items, some food and whatever else it mentioned there, uh, bread, pottage, wine, oil, meat. You grab all of that, put it in your cloth, and you take it home to your family. The question he's asking is, does this cloth make that stuff holy because it touched holy meat? Do you follow me so far? Does holiness spread like that? Is holiness contagious like that? I touch holy meat with this cloth. I touch my dinner meat with this cloth. And now this dinner meat is sanctified and holy. And the priests say, no, <laughs> that's not how it works. Holiness doesn't, doesn't catch like that. Uh, wouldn't that be something, you know? Uh, one person has some great awakening and then you touch this guy and now you touch him and you touch her and oh, there goes the holiness across the crowd. And, and it doesn't exactly work that way. Uh, so he says, that's not how holiness spreads, but he goes on. That's not really his main point. His main point he's getting to. He says, what about this? If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest said, yes, it, it will be unclean. So catch this. So you got the same priest with the same cloth. He's walking to work and there's a dead body between him and work, the temple. Well, we can't leave a dead body here. We've got to move this out of the way. So we're going to wrap them up. Hey, Bill, Steve, you grab the head, I'll grab the feet. Let's, let's grab this body and, and let's take this body out and bury that body. And then I'm going to go in. And uh, hey, if, if the holy meat didn't contaminate my cloth, why should this, right? So I'm going to go in, use that cloth to transport my holy meat. And, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. No, he says... The priests say, and rightly so, no, it is unclean. So in other words, it doesn't go both ways. Are you following me? All right. It doesn't go both ways. You, you can wrap the cloth around the holy meat, but now that cloth is not holy. But you wrap that cloth around something unclean, and that cloth is unclean. What is he getting to with all of this? Well, here's the point. comes down to this. He's saying... Essentially this, vice is much more easily contracted than virtue. Vice much more easily spreads than virtue. Righteousness is not automatically transferred. But unrighteousness, close your eyes and, and wait and open them again and unrighteousness has, has spread. You just look around this country, you look around this world, you look at what Satan is trying to do. And it is as if uh, unrighteousness just spreads like wildfire. It's downhill. But if righteousness is going to spread, it seems like that's more uphill. It takes a bit more purposeful, intentional planning, prayer. Uh, your direction had better be right. Your steps had better be right. You better be in the Word. There are, there are, it doesn't happen by accident. Any person who gets saved, it did not happen by accident. There were certain sequences, you might say, that took place. The person becomes convicted that they are a sinner. They become convinced that they are unholy before God and they need a Savior. And, 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 and that, that on their own with their good works, which are we don't have any good works, all of our, right, unright, all of our righteousness is, even is sin, they recognize that Jesus is the only one who can save them. Jesus paid it all. He died on the cross. He was buried, rose again, and ascended again. 
And he's the one who says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You've got to have Jesus and his forgiveness. In other words, there's certain things that take place. You, you heard about your need. You were confronted with scripture. Uh, you, you, you made a decision of faith based on the word of God. It didn't just happen. Many, many people prayed for you before you got saved. Many, maybe several people talked to you before it got saved. In other words, you can just put it this way. There's a lot of work that it went into you getting saved and me getting saved. There was a lot of planning and, and, and people who, who God used. Uh, and, and for a, a kid to go on and serve God with their life, that doesn't just happen, friend. It's not just that the kid was raised in a Christian home and went to church, and so obviously he's going to go on for God. No, righteousness doesn't just spread like that. Holiness doesn't just spread like that. Unrighteousness does. Christian home or no, brought up in church or no. There are more kids falling out of good Bible-preaching churches than, than, than I, I would care to admit. There are so many people with bright futures who were raised with a Bible in their lap and sermons in both ears, and mom and dad were saved, and grandpa and grandma were saved, and they had every reason to follow God, but it didn't happen why? Well, it, nothing happens just by default. There must be an intentionality, a purposefulness. And as we consider our future, we've got to be intentional about our life's direction. What choices are we making? What are we taking for granted? What are we just assuming is going to happen? Oh, yeah, this is going to take place. Oh, it's going to be good. It's going to work out. No! And so he uses this illustration that the priest would all know. You take a cloth and touch something holy, and you touch other things, and that cloth does not make them holy. You take a cloth and touch something clean and touch other things, and that cloth does make it unclean. He says the, the, the forces of evil working against you are powerful, and you guys are passive. You are sitting back and, and, and being idle, and the, the iniquity is spreading. Verse 14, here's what he says. He says, so is this people. So as he tells them about the cloth and how holiness doesn't spread very fast, okay, but uncleanness, it spreads. He says, so is this people and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands and that which they offer there, uh, there is unclean. He's saying, you guys are like the cloth, but you're like the cloth that wrapped around a dead person. And everything that you touch is, 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 is unclean. Why? Why are we so filthy, Lord? Why are we so wrong? Because they had quit on God's mission. They had, they had committed themselves to to basically uh, the sin of unbelief. We don't believe God can do it anymore. I know he sent us here to build the temple, but we're just not going to be able to get that far. Hey, we're going to have to be satisfied with this altar. We've got a foundation and we've got an altar. And I guess we're going to be doing open air services the rest of our lives. But hey, our kids will get it. They'll understand. It'll catch. It'll catch. Yeah, you guys say it ain't going to catch like you think it's going to catch, but I'll tell you what is catching. What is catching is mom and dad don't believe God. That's catching real quick. What is catching is mom and dad gave up on God. Kids are catching that too. 
What is catching is your unbelief and your sin is affecting every single thing you do. And so therefore, he says, <clears throat> you have stopped my work and now I've stopped yours. Everything you do is frustrated now. And he goes on to paint a vivid picture. So this people, one author said it this way, <clears throat> in like manner saith God, your neglect of my people, of, sorry, your neglect of my temple and your disregard of my worship has made you unclean as if you had contracted legal pollution by touching a dead body and rendered everything you undertake. Even the sacrifices you offer on my altar, you've rendered them unclean and unacceptable. This is where they found themselves. And yet hoping that it's all going to work out. We have at least an altar. Some holiness will be transferred. No. They stopped doing what God had told them to do. They stopped building the temple. And now everything they touch was falling apart. <clears throat> he tells them, it's time to consider your future. And one of the best ways to consider your future, where you're going, how you're going to get there, is how you got to where you, to where you are right now. So in other words, in order to consider your future, sometimes you've got to consider your past and your present. That's what he does here. He says in verse, 20, in verse 15, And now I pray you, I beg you, I beseech you, consider from this day and upward. What day and upward? From before a stone was laid upon the, a stone in the temple of the Lord. I want you to look all the way back when, when you first got here and you first started building this foundation. Consider before you quit. Oh, we remember those days. Oh, we can consider that. I mean, it seems like a long time ago now, but boy, oh boy, we were so filled with anticipation and excitement. The king had set us loose to, to build the temple and who would have thought it and we're here and he paid for it and oh, it's great. There's excitement and, and hey kids, we have an open air temple now with an altar, but it's coming. Can you see it? Can you see the walls? Can you see the temple? It's coming. They had vision back then. Now they can't see a thing. 14 years of nothing. He says, I want you to consider when you quit what was it like then? Well, we had the blessing of God. We had excitement. We had provision. God took care of us. Okay. Well, what else? What's happened since? Verse 16, he's asking them to consider now your unprecedented shortfalls. Since those days were, <clears throat> when one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the press fat to draw out 50 vessels of the press, there were but 20 these folks were smart. They knew what they were doing. They, they could look at a field and say, all right, this size field with the conditions that we have should yield 20 measures. But when they actually went through the work and harvested and gathered it all together, it only yielded 10. Now, that's funny. I'm positive this, this should have yielded 20. What's going on? You know, they, they, they know what they're doing. They're not stupid people. And they, they look at the press and they know how much they should get from what they put in. You put in olives and you press them. You put in grapes and you press them. And, and, and they know what, what should return. And they say, for the amount of effort and the resources that we're putting into this press, we should be able to draw out 50 vessels out of the press. And they ended up with 20. That's a head scratcher. What's going on? All of this, these 
shortfalls didn't make sense. And Haggai is saying, actually, they do make sense. And this was supposed to get your attention. When stuff doesn't make sense, it actually makes sense. God's doing something. God's trying to say, hello, look up here. Look up here. A lot of times we don't do it. We just keep looking for more. Where did I go wrong? What, what, was my math wrong? What happened? Was it you? Was it you? What went what, what wrong here? No, it wasn't the math. It wasn't the effort. Nothing was stolen. God had not just withdrawn his hand. He was reaching out a hand saying, I'm going to resist you with this hand. When God resists what you're doing, that's more than an uphill battle. It's over. So I want you to consider furthermore, consider when you were blessed, consider when you first started, consider these unprecedented shortfalls, consider also all the natural disasters you have encountered, encountered since you quit. Verse 17, I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail and all the labors of your hands. And by the way, again, God takes credit for it. He says, I smote you. No doubt they thought they were just the unluckiest people in the world. Fourteen years of hard luck. Like, I mean, if you keep rolling the dice, eventually you're going to get your number, right? Don't you have to get a good number? Uh, I played in sorry with my kids. And you can't get out of home unless you roll a one or a two. I think that's how it works. And sometimes I'm rolling like, is this dice broken? I mean, eventually it's got to give me a one or a two. It's only got six sides here. Come on. Uh, well, that's what they're saying. They're saying it's been 14 years and it was the, the famine. Then it was the mildew. Then it was the blast. Then it was the locust. And eventually we have to get a good year here. It's going to happen, guys. Hang together. He's saying, are you kidding me? You're not unlucky. You are unblessed. I'm trying to get your attention. I smote you with the blasting and the mildew and the hail and all the labors of your hands. In other words, there was not one thing that they could do with their hands that worked. Have you ever been there? Or you're beating your head against the wall at every single turn. Usually God is saying, look up. Let me help. I don't know about you, sometimes... Uh, the last thing I do is hit my knees. I am frustrated. I am going to do this. I'm going to make phone calls. I'm going to do blah, 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 blah. Okay, let's pray. <laughs> you know, why does it take that? Why does it take uh, everything else to go wrong before we look to God? But that's what, they, that's what they did. Look at the verse. Look at verse 17. I did all of this, yet ye turned not to me saith the Lord. There's all kinds of reasons for that. One reason is you're mad at God. Because after all, he even admitted it. He smote you with the blasting and the mildew and the hail and it withstood all of your labors. And so you're mad at God. I know he could help me, but why do I want the help of somebody who turned against me? No. I'm not going to. For others, they're not mad at God, <clears throat> but they just need to do it all by themselves. They've got the big kid, the pull-up syndrome. I'm a big kid now. You know, look, I did it all by myself. And, and it's as ridiculous as that when God looks at it. You know, we're a little kid with pull-ups. Look, I did it by myself. Lord's like, I can help you a lot better. Let me help you. Why do you have to do it yourself? 
because we, we of our pride, because of our insecurity, we, we need to figure things out ourselves and be able to, to think that we accomplished something. We don't want to have to depend on anybody, including God. For these folks, I think <clears throat> there was a fear that if we do what God told us to do, we're going to get in trouble with all of these opponents who have opposed us and shut us down with their letters of authorization saying cease and desist. There was a fear. We don't really want to do it God's way anymore because we're going to get out onto thin ice. But bottom line, they stopped. You know, nothing in our life is happening by chance. I don't believe that some people just have bad luck. Other people have good luck. No, I believe that God is working in each one of our lives. And every circumstance has meaning. And there, there, there is a rhyme and a reason that we may not get it. We may not understand it. And oftentimes God is trying to get our attention. Maybe God's been trying to get your attention recently. Maybe he's upset your, your habits and your life and, and certain things are not working out. Maybe he wants to get you to reprioritize your life. Maybe he wants you to get to the place of depending on him again. What do your actions say about your priorities? Because your actions don't lie. Our mouth likes to, likes to do that. God was trying to get their attention. He wanted to get them back on track to build the work. He uses this, this analogy that things are not going to happen automatically. The temple is not going to just build itself. Your, 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 your kids are not just going to start following God because there's an altar sitting there. Holiness doesn't rub off like that. But what does rub off really fast and really quick is the uncleanness. And the uncleanness of your unbelieving heart, he said, is rubbing off and it's going fast. <clears throat> and I've been trying to get your attention I want you to consider your life because I want you to consider your future and your kid's future. Where are you going with this thing? Consider your life and turn to me. Vice spreads faster than virtue. So be purposeful and intentional. Nothing good happens by chance or by osmosis. Passivity in the Christian life is an open door to the enemy. And he wins. We need to build his work. Because vice spreads faster than virtue and righteousness is not automatically transferred on its own, we must be purposeful in our engagements and faith-filled in our direction. So first of all, as we consider our future, be intentional about your life's direction. But secondly, as we consider our future, be relentless in your faith perspective. <clears throat> be relentless in your faith perspective. Verse 18, consider now from this day and upward, from the 4 and 20th day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. That's uh, one, one uh, verse with the word consider on both ends. I want you to consider your life. How did you get here and where do you think you're going? And then he says this in verse 19. <clears throat> Is the seed yet in the barn? Now, at this time, this, this, this sermon was written, I believe, like November, December, somewhere in that time. So harvest has already come, and if there's been a good harvest, the seed is in the barn, and it's filled up, and they've got everything they need for their grain and make their meal and make their flour and 
be able to bake and all of that good stuff. And there should be plenty of fruits laid up and figs and all of that should be laid up. And so here's what he says. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as, as, as yet the vine and the fig and the, and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth. So that's, it's interesting wording there, okay? King James English is not always how we speak today. But what he's saying is, is the seed yet in the barn? Uh, it's, no, the seed is as the vine and the fig tree is. And the pomegranate and the olive tree. They haven't brought forth. In other words, you're going through winter with nothing in the barn. This is the last place they wanted to be. This is scary. Consider my future? Yeah, Lord, I'm considering my future. I'm considering, well, I don't know how we're going to make it here. <clears throat> and the Lord says, from this day will I bless you. Now catch what he's saying. <clears throat> he's asking them to start working again on his work. Which means they're going to have less time for their work. Now follow me. So far, they have been working countless hours. They've been working like three jobs worth. Beating themselves to death, working themselves to the bone to accomplish what? An empty barn. And now God is coming to them and saying, I know you have an empty barn. I know you're working sun up to sun down. And I know you can't spare one minute. But I want you to. I want you to come back to the work. I want you to put me first. I'm going to take time away from your, your work. Your empty barn. But I want you to do this. And I will bless you from this day. From this day. What is this day? This is the day that they are going to obey. This is the day that they're going to examine their lives for what they were, devoid of God's blessing, empty, defiled, and repent of their unbelief. This was a day of their, should be a day of their repentance and a day of their obedience and a day of their work returning. This was to be a day of faith in the provision and the protection and the blessing of God. This was to be the day, this day of blessing was the day that they would reprioritize their God and put Him first. And what did He give them to go on? An empty barn. You know, sometimes God will give us a token to encourage our faith. You've had those, I've had those. And there's even a verse that says, give me a token for good, Lord. I can't remember the reference, uh, but I've quoted it plenty of times. <laughs> okay, Lord, I don't know what to do here. I think I'm supposed to go this way. Uh, you testing the waters. Ooh, I don't know, feels kind of cold. I, I think I'm supposed to go this way. Lord, would you give me a token? And the Lord is so good, he oftentimes gives you a token. And you're like, that's what I needed. This is the way I'm going. And you go. But you know what? Sometimes God doesn't give you a token. Sometimes he gives you an empty barn. And that's all you have to go on. But in this case, the empty barn should be all that they need. Here's why. Because that empty barn was not empty because of God's neglect. 
that empty barn was empty because of the, 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 the fact that their efforts just weren't going to get the job done. This empty barn was a real, should, should serve as a realization to them that 14 years of hard labor, agonizing toil, cannot replace the blessing of God's hand. How much longer do we want to persist in our, in our own way? How much longer are we going to kick ourselves before we just put God first? And I'll tell you, it seems, it seems counterintuitive to a thinking person. All right, let's just do the math here, pal. You've been working 70-hour weeks, and you're barely alive, and your kids, your wife, you're, you're all barely alive, and there's hardly anything to get through the winter. And now you're, you're saying you're going to work less than that, and you're going to split your effort and give some to God. Any math, you don't have to be a math major. Anybody knows that is stupid. Unless you're looking at it with the faith perspective. That's why I said, secondly, be relentless in your faith perspective. You've got to see God will do what he's called us to do. He'll do it through us. Uh, and, and, and we have to believe that. But life is trying to strip us of faith. And circumstances are beating, not the life out of us, they're beating the faith out of us. And people, people will, will gnaw on your ear and, and hurt your faith. And, and eventually you're just left with nothing but a human perspective. Let me tell you folks, don't let anyone or anything strip you of your ability to believe and to trust God and keep, keep the promises in full view. There is nobody who looks at verses 18 and 19 without faith and sees this as a good thing. The only way you see this as a good thing is if you look at it by faith. I mean, he basically says, consider now your life. Consider what it's been since that day when the foundation was laid. You have nothing. You've never had anything. And right now you've got an empty barn. Yet, this day, if you'll get back to work, I'll bless you. That only works by faith. That only works by faith. But folks, faith is the believer's secret weapon. With faith, you have hope. With faith comes grace. With faith comes expectancy and, and the ability to trust. And with faith comes peace. So much of our life hinges upon faith. And if you lose faith, you lose all those things. Let me ask you here, do you have faith to look at your empty barns and say, God... I haven't been able to fill them, but I believe that you can. I've not been able to provide like I want to, but if I get my priorities right and put you first, I'm trusting that you'll help me with this. I've not been able to invest in my family like I want to, but I'm just going to make it a priority. Put the time in my family and trust you for the rest. Do you have faith that is big enough to make a move toward God even though you haven't seen him make the move toward you that you feel you require? By the way, we never make a move to God without Him moving to us. It's just it's a certain move you're looking for. 
He's moving to you, but maybe not with the certain move that you're looking for. Are you willing to move toward him even though you haven't seen the move that you're looking for? Let's just break this down. What about to, to tithe when you can't afford it? To give to the Lord the first fruits. I told my kids, they, uh, they just got their bank statements and uh, they have this, this DFCU kids account. And if you keep uh, at least 100 bucks in your account, DFCU gives you 50 bucks every year. I should get a commission for that. I just did a commercial on live stream in front of all these people. Okay, that was, I did not get paid for that. But anyway, uh, so my kids, you know, we sat down with the statements and I said, hey kids, you each got 50 bucks. You're 50 bucks uh, wealthier than you were last year. Ah! And they're like, I'm buying Legos. And all, the, all of a sudden everything's going. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. There's something that has to happen first. What happens first? And someone says, save it. No. No, 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 that's that actually not what happens first. That can happen second. <laughs> okay, well, what happens first is there's the principle of the first fruits. God gets the first. He blessed us with this $50 of interest on your account and, and uh, we're going to take that by faith. And, and I, we talked about tithing. So what's, what's 10% of 50? And the kids are like, you know, oh, five, okay. So we got that little math lesson in there. Um, and the, uh, my kids were like, whoa, five bucks. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of money if you just had 50. But nonetheless, that's, 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 uh, that's what the Bible says. And, and this is an opportunity to trust him. I said, look, when you give that 10% and you, and you give it first, you are saying God's big enough and God is first place. And I don't know how it's all going to work out. I don't have everything figured. I, I, I haven't got it all calculated, but I do know one thing. I'm trusting him and I'm doing what I believe he told me to do. And here we go. And Lord, you take care of the rest. You know, when you minister to people that you don't have time for, God gives you time. It's amazing how God blesses. And you stop and you meet some need and you're like, oh, this is going to kill me. And, and the Lord, he seems to make up for those things and, and counterbalance when you're doing his work and his way, he provides. You know, when you see to it, your family's in church. It's great to see so many people here. It's good to see families sitting together as families, worshiping the Lord together. And I know it's not easy to get to church. I got five kids. I'm the pastor. And my wife and I still have a hard time getting our kids to church. There are days it is not convenient to come to church. But I'm always blessed when I come. And it's, it is a blessing to be able to talk afterwards to the whole family. What do we learn? And, 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 uh, and, and sharing things and so forth. Uh, to, to put your family in church, even when it's not convenient. To keep your career in its proper place. Prioritizing God and family and trusting Him with, with your career and to provide. Do you have the faith to move toward God? Even though He's not made the move toward you that you would require and what about this do you are you willing to trust god again knowing that may, maybe in your case knowing that he has withstood you he sent the blasting he sent the mildew he has 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 made it so everything that you are doing is not working you know they say that so-and-so has that golden touch everything he touches turned to gold other people have that touch where everything i touch breaks <laughs> you know well that's what happened with these guys and what happens when you realize that that was from God? Do you shake your fist and say, God, you hate me? Or do you say, God, I'll turn to you. 
Let me tell you, folks, if God, the very fact that the God of the universe who created it all would single you out with a hand that withstands you, it's actually a blessing. At least he knows you. <laughs> you know, you're not getting what you want from him, right? He's withstanding you. But at least he knows you. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're doing. He's taking notice of you. I'd rather be withstood than be forgotten. And the God of the universe knows you. And if he's withstanding you, it's because he's trying to redirect you. He's not just pushing against you. He's trying to guide you. And we need to work with him and trust him be relentless in your faith perspective no matter how empty those barns are you trust god no matter how bad your life is when you do as this passage said and consider your life one of the best ways to consider the future is to consider the past no matter how bad that is don't let your circumstances take away your faith that god is on the throne he has promised certain things, and from this day, he said he'll bless me from what day? The day that I repent and get right and obey and return to the work. He said, well, that's risky. I only have so many hours in a week, and you're asking me to give so much hours to God's work and split my time. I don't want to build a, a, a temple, this guy says. I want to build my own house. It's too risky. I can't do it. I'm going to go sail the ship of my own effort somebody else says no i'll i'll try it i don't know if it's going to work but i'm going to sail the ship of faith in god and i'll tell you this folks if i have to go down in a ship i want to go down in the ship of faith i don't believe the ship of faith ever goes down but that's what that's what job said he said though he slay me yet will i trust him i'm going to be in the ship of faith trusting god almighty even to the moment that I died, though he slay me, I'm going to go in. You'll find splinters under my fingernails. I'll be hanging on to the walls of that boat of faith. I'm writing this thing out. I'm going to trust God. Believe him. Repent of your unbelief and self-dependence, trying to figure everything out yourself and return to his work. Trust him. Be relentless in your faith perspective. Be intentional in your life's direction. And finally, be faithful in your work, and we're out of time. They got back to it, and the work, it, it did kind of come and go, start and stop. We're, we're humans. We're like that. We, we will get all excited, and then we get overwhelmed, but the bottom line is they kept moving forward. They were consistent in the little things. You know, how do you build a temple? One stone at a time. How do you build your children? How do you build your family? How do you build a work for God? One step of faith at a time. I've been giving you this verse every week. Well, I don't know how many weeks we'll give it, but I want to give it again. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be faithful in the work. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be faithful in the work. So as we consider our future, it's not just going to happen by default. No, we need to, first of all, be intentional about your life. Vice spreads faster than virtue. You need to be intentional and purposeful in your mission and in your life. Secondly, be relentless in your faith. Never stop believing God. No matter how empty the barns, let that push you to God. You see, these things go both ways. People say, I could never trust the God who allowed me to get to this position. And I would say, really? 
he told us in his word that when you do these things, you get in this position. So you're telling me you can't, tell, you can't trust a God who tells you the truth and gives you what he promises? No, we can trust that God. Be relentless in your faith. And finally, be faithful in the work. Big problems are often solved by simple consistency. One step at a time. Lord, help us as an, a church and as individuals, as families, Lord, to be faithful in this work that you called us to. Help us to consider our future and not take anything for granted. Lord, may we not think that the temple is going to build itself, that our family is going to re- build itself, that our kids are going to rear themselves, that, that things are just going to happen. Lord, may we be intentional and purposeful about our lives and filled with a faith perspective, trusting you, depending on you. Lord, may we be faithful in the work. 